0: good day ladies and gentlemen welcome to live with Doug we are thinking through God's word together good morning Asher I believe uh, you are a first-time commenter on our uh, on our study from South Africa well so that's not good morning for you is it <laughs> what time is it there glad that you are with us good morning Keith and to the rest of you all right so we are uh, we're gonna wrap up Isaiah today Here, here's what I'm thinking I want to push through the text. Finish chapter sixty-six because, especially this section, I think we need to take it uh, kind of in a big chunk. So often our interpretations are affected because we take too small of a of a passage and, and miss the context. So I want to want to push on through the remainder 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 of the um, of the text here, and uh, and then tomorrow and Friday I said we would come back and address some of the questions. I'm not really sure what to do. So you tell me. Uh, in the chat today or in the comments after the video. Uh, what lingering questions do you have or what are some of the thoughts that are sparked from Isaiah? And uh, we'll take the next couple of days to address those kind of a, a q and I recognize that a lot of it will spill over into eschatology because that's where most people want to go. And admittedly, i fostered a little bit of that uh, because, well, that's that could be what's going on here. So anyway, uh, put your put your questions in the uh, the comments after the video, and uh, we will spend some time in the next couple of days looking at those. Asher says, it's 3.30 in the afternoon in South Africa, the first time commenter, but I've listened to you since your What About Israel series. Well, excellent. Well, glad to have you aboard. All right. So before we get into Isaiah, I want to uh, look at a couple texts in the New Testament just uh, and I, again, I realize <laughs> I'm sort of inviting, um, uh, some, some questions and areas that maybe we don't have time to get into, but I do find these statements and Isaiah interacting a little bit. So good morning, Jay. Glad that you are with us as well. All right. So remember in uh, Luke 24, we've looked at this before, uh, at the, after the resurrection, Jesus rebukes his disciples, and he says, you should have known about my death because the prophets foretold of my death. But that's not all he said, right? Here's what he said. Thus it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. So he's saying these things are written in the scripture, in the Old Testament, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. So Jesus here is rebuking his disciples and saying, if you were reading the Old Testament carefully, you would know that the Messiah had to die and rise again And that from Jerusalem, repentance and forgiveness of sin would be proclaimed in the name of the Messiah to all the nations. So I think we're going to see some of that in Isaiah 66 today. Here's another interesting New Testament quote also from Jesus. So we've already looked at this in detail. I'm not going to, you may disagree with my interpretation of this and that's fine, but I'm not going to try to defend it here. We did that in the uh, What About Israel series and some others. But in Matthew 24, it says, Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will happen. He's just said the uh, temple is going to be destroyed. What will be the sign of your coming? I take that to be coming in judgment against the Jews and Jerusalem and the temple. And what will be the sign of the end of the age, which I take to be the Jewish age? And he begins talking about all these things. But in verse 14, he says, The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end shall. Will come. And then he goes on to describe the fall of Jerusalem and the abomination of the desolation that Daniel talked about. All of Matthew 24 here, this section I take to be the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. So I don't think the end here is the end of the world as we know it, but the end of the Jewish age. Before the end of the Jewish age in AD 70, the gospel is going to be preached throughout the world. In Matthew 16, he says, The Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will repay every man according to his deeds. That sounds like the final judgment day, and it may be. But then he makes this interesting statement. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom some of his hearers aren't going to die until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. One more. Uh, Mark 9. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, be better for him if a millstone hung around his neck, he cast into the sea. He says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than for your two hands to go into Gehenna. This says hell, but it's Gehenna, into the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than for uh, and having two feet. Sorry, than having two feet to be cast into Gehenna. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into Gehenna, where. The worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. This is a direct quote from Isaiah 66, which we'll look at. And he's tying it to it's better to enter life, better to enter the kingdom than to be cast into Gehenna where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. Now, we tend to interpret this as hell. That's how it's translated. And we think eternal things. Is that what's going on here? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I'm still trying to sort some of this out. I just, those are some of the passages that, uh, I don't know. Still trying to formulate all of these things. So back to Isaiah. Um, Isaiah, we ended yesterday with verse five that differentiated between the Jews who tremble at God's word. That's faithful Jews who uh, hold fast to his word. And then those who are mocking the Jews who hold fast to his word. And he says, they will be put to shame. those, Those who are mocking faithful Jews will be put to shame. And remember who this is written to. It's written to the Jews. And it's written before the fall of Jerusalem in 586. Now, this may be visions and talking about something that comes later. But let's just keep in mind, the original audience the temple and the city have not been destroyed for the first time even. And he's talking about all this. All right. So what does he mean they will not be, or that the, uh, uh, the the mockers will be put to shame? Morning, Dale. Glad you could join us as well. The voice or a voice of uproar from the city, a voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord who is rendering recompense to his enemies. So again, in the context here of uh, there are some faithful Jews and some mocking Jews. Now he hears the sound of the city and the temple in uproar. And the Lord is repaying his enemies. The context here, I think, requires this to be the enemy's who are the Jews in Jerusalem. So here's my working theory. This may be wrong. I'm still, I guess I I don't like to say, I don't know as often as I'm saying these days, but there's just some hard stuff. My working theory is this is a vision of the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. Because you see a lot of the language that I pointed out for you you already. And the enemies that are receiving recompense are the Jews in Jerusalem in AD 70. Which does make you wonder, where was that? Uh, This phrase, the son of man is going to come in the glory of his father with his angels and will repay every man according to his deeds. It's very similar to He's rendering recompense to his enemies. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Now, suddenly we're talking about a woman who gives birth before she had labor pains. Before she travailed, she gave brought forth. Before her pain came, she gave birth to a boy. So there's this image now of this woman who isn't screaming in pain. She's not experiencing the labor pain. Suddenly, boom, she gives birth to a boy. Who's heard of such a thing? Who has seen such things? So it's not a boy that's being born. Look at this. Can a land be born in one day? Can a nation be brought forth all at once? Okay, so the imagery of a woman just suddenly giving birth without labor pains. And now he's saying this seems, this is crazy. This is supernatural. This is, this is unheard of. A land is just birthed? No, you can't do that, right? <laughs> uh, just like a woman has to go through the whole pregnancy period and the labor pains to give birth. So a land to become a nation, it starts with one and then, well, two, I guess, if you have a male and female. that It, it takes a while to grow into, to, to populate a land. But here, God says there's going to be a land, a nation born at once. As soon as Zion travailed, she also brought forth her sons. So Zion, Jerusalem, the holy city, is just suddenly giving birth to sons. And we've seen repeatedly in Isaiah, the sons of Zion will come from afar. This she'll have this barren one will suddenly be asking. Where did all these children come from? I'm barren. I can't give birth to children. And here they are. Lon says, can the church be born without the cross? No. Or Pentecost? So Lon's kind of tracking where I'm tracking. Could this be a vision of the beginning of the church? The New Jerusalem? Zion? Maybe. Maybe. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not give delivery, says the Lord? Or shall I who gives delivery shut the womb, says your God? Obviously, the answer is no to both of those. God is going to bring birth. He is going to open the womb of Zion. Be joyful with Jerusalem and rejoice with her, all you who love her. Be exceedingly glad with her, all you who mourn over her. Wait a minute. He's telling us to rejoice, to be glad, to be exceedingly glad because of all the sons that are being born, the children that Zion is giving birth to. Be glad you who mourn over her? Why is there cause of mourning? Working theory here. Just just trying to sort this out. Could it be that those who see the destruction of Jerusalem, they're mourning for her. They're weeping for her, weeping for Jerusalem because it's being destroyed. And yet God is saying, those who really are torn up about the fall of Jerusalem, who sincerely love the Lord and and, uh, are faithful to him, they're going to be glad because there's going to be birth rebirth new birth there's gonna be sons and daughters born to zion again so be glad rejoice hold out hope that you may nurse and be satisfied with her comforting breast; that you may suck and be delighted with her bountiful bosom jerusalem or zion is going to give birth and nourish her children there will be many offspring from mother zion so to speak Uh, Jay says this is also related to the Revelation 12 woman. Maybe so. Maybe so. I'll have to look at that. For thus says the Lord, behold, I extend peace to her like a river. This is the word shalom. If you go back and look at Isaiah 48, there's a lot of similar language here. And God says he would have extended shalom like a river. But Israel, Jerusalem was disobedient. Now he's saying, I will. So he's forgiven Zion and he's going to extend his peace like a river and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you will be nursed and you'll be carried on the hip and fondled on the knees as one whom his mother comforts. So I will comfort you and you will be comforted, Jerusalem or in Jerusalem. So there's going to be birth, there's going to be children born, and they are going to be blessed and nourished and comforted. Then you will see this, and your heart will be glad, and your bones will flourish like the new grass, and the hand of the Lord will be made known to his servants, but he will be indignant toward his enemies. So the children of Zion are going to prosper. The enemies of God are going to be destroyed. For behold, The Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For the Lord will execute judgment by fire and by his sword on all flesh and those slain by the Lord will be many. Do you remember the opening words from John the Baptist when he preached repentance to the Pharisees and the Jews? There is one coming after me who does what? Put in the comments if you, if you know. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go to the gardens, following one in the center who eats swine's flesh, detestable things, and mice, will come to an end altogether, declares the Lord. He's tying back to what he said that we looked at yesterday. There are those Jews who they go through the motions of, of God's ordained sacrifice and worship, but they're just as fine uh, with worshiping or with using pigs and and all the things that are detestable to God. So he's going back and appealing or describing them now saying uh, they are going to be destroyed. Yep, Dale and Lon got it. Baptized with fire. Could that be what uh, what's getting at here? Talking to the Jews, you're going to be baptized with fire. Jesus would be the fulfillment of that. For I know their works and their thoughts. The time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them and send survivors from them to the nations. Survivors of what? It seems to me like survivors of God's wrath and destruction. So Keith asked, uh, wouldn't that indicate that this was after 586? Yes, except we know this didn't happen after 586. The uh, Jews just huddled in Jerusalem and they were under oppression and ruled over by foreign powers until Jesus came. They never went out from Jerusalem to the nations. That's why I think there's kind of a one-two punch here, a part one and part two of this. The first one was 586. But as we have seen multiple times in Isaiah, the full and final destruction of Jerusalem was in 70 AD. So I wonder if that's what he's talking about and the survivors coming out of that going into all the nations. there's they're, they're questions. I get it. But I'm still trying to sort this out. God said, I'm going to, bring an end to, uh, to. well, I'm going to punish at least, come, uh, bring an end to those, and there will be survivors, and he's going to set a sign among them and send the, the survivors to all these nations, Tarshish, Put, Lud, Mesh, all these nations he's been talking about all through Isaiah that symbolize the world. To the distant coastlands, that's been used over and over again to describe the Gentiles in the far off lands that have neither heard my fame nor seen my glory and they will declare my glory among the nations. You see why I think this can't be the end of time? Because there are going to be survivors of this punishment that go into all the world and call them to glorify God and declare his fame among them. Uh missing some of your comments here. Uh Dale's quoting from Isaiah, I have great and sorrow for the sake of my brethren, not as though the word of God. Yeah, I, I think we're kind of on the same page there, if I'm understanding why you why you put that there. Sorry for those of you that are listening. You're you're just mumbling, you're not reading it. Yes, I'm trying to get through this. Then they shall bring all your brethren from all the nations as a grain offering to the Lord. So, so you see the timing here seems to be after destruction and judgment, the survivors go out and they bring the sons of Zion from all the nations as an offering to the Lord. This is similar language to what Paul used in in Romans uh, 15 about his ministry to the Gentiles. Now, I know that's before 70 AD. So again, I'm not claiming to have all this figured out. I'm just, just trying to Deal with the language here. Uh, on horses and chariots and litters on mules and camels to my holy mountain. So they're going to bring the brethren. These survivors are going to go out to all the nations and bring uh, brethren from all the nations to the holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the sons of Israel bring their grain offering in clean vessel to the house of the Lord, I will also take some of them for priests and Levites. Some of some of the the nations as priests and Levites. Would that be? priesthood of all believers with all of us becoming priests for just as the new heavens and new earth which i make will endure before me declares the lord so your offspring zion and your name will endure and it shall be from new moon to new moon that would be month to month and from sabbath to sabbath that would be week to week so uh, all every month every week All mankind will come to bow down before me, says the Lord. Then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm will not die, their fire will not be quenched, and they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. This is a graphic image here of uh, just bodies laying in the streets, those who have transgressed, being destroyed by God. And when it says the worm will not die, that means there's just gonna be so many of them that the maggots uh, are are just gonna be overwhelming. And uh, the fire where they would be burning the bodies to to try to deal with them because you're not going to bury this many bodies. Uh, And that's similar to Gehenna, the place where bodies were taken. And refuse was taken, garbage and stuff was taken outside of Jerusalem in Jesus' day. And that's how it ends. That's uh, that's the end of Isaiah. Uh, Peter says, is a grain offering not Old Testament? Well, sure it is. Um, but all the imagery through all this has been Old Testament uh, stuff, which applies to the New Testament. I know you've already made that point. Uh, arguing for something earlier. And I, I get it. Um, the symbolism is clear. He, he's, he's always using Old Testament imagery and Old Covenant imagery. The question is, what is the interpretation for us? And that's what we're trying to figure out. So I don't know. Uh, if this last scene in Isaiah is what we consider the end of time, the second coming, The, the if this is hell he's describing with the, the worm never dying and, and the corpses burning and all that, it doesn't make sense to me in light of the things we just read. It doesn't seem like eternal state, because you've got this judgment coming on Zion uh, or on Jerusalem, on the on the evildoers there, the enemies there, and survivors going out into the world, bringing offering to the Lord from the nations. All of that fits very well, I think. Working model here could be wrong open to revision but all that fits very well with the end of the age the this this whole thing describing the end of the Jewish age the coming of the kingdom which we are in now and the gospel going forth uh, i'm sure there are holes in that again it's just a working theory but i'm trying to keep it in context, keep it with the words that are listed and so on. Dale says, so perhaps if the old covenant imagery points to spiritual realities in the new, it may be that some of the physical property language does the same. Yeah, very, very well could be. Um, So yeah, (laughs) if this is true, then uh, some of you were arguing that new heavens and new earth in Isaiah is not talking about new cosmology, but new covenant. And maybe that's what Dale's getting at too here. Uh, I think a case can be made for that. Now, that does not mean that the New Testament has to use that language in the same way. I think it's possible, and this is kind of a working theory as well for me, that there is a, a fulfillment of the new heavens and the new earth that is an unglorified new covenant, and then just like we are in process of being sanctified right now, that we, we are sanctified and we're being sanctified, could the earth be being made new, but not glorified, waiting for being uh, entirely made new and entirely glorified? Does that make sense? Uh, Peter says, "Uh, you're thinking that the new heavens, new earth might be the new witness to the new covenant is intriguing and something I never contemplated. Uh, Maybe. Uh, I'm just, yeah, me too. But you you get what I'm saying? Could it be uh, that we are the fulfillment of Isaiah 65, 66, the new covenant era, and then the New Testament says, just like we're going to be resurrected in new bodies fit for, uh, glorification that the, the earth, the heavens, of the earth are also heading toward that. So it's kind of an already not yet. I don't know, just pondering out loud. Uh, let's keep working through it together. So leave your questions in, uh, and comments in the, uh, oh, great. I gotta, yeah, let's see if I can remove that. I uh, don't want that person on here um uh, let's see if we can uh well so sorry I'm I got distracted by a inappropriate comment here um leave your comments and questions in the uh the chat in the comments here and we will spend a couple days wrestling with more of these things have a great day in the lord we'll see you tomorrow